Hi, and welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, we are talking once again with former guest and longtime legend, Linz Amer. Linz Amer makes queer stuff for kids, families, educators, their loved ones, and allies. On this episode, we are going to be talking about their brand new, incredible book, Rainbow Parenting, Your Guide to Raising Queer Kids and Their Allies. Before we dig into our conversation with Linz, I want to let you know that today you also have a special opportunity to win a free seat to this weekend's incredible star-studded celebrity panel courtesy of the folks at Pride and Less Prejudice. Pride and Less Prejudice is a remarkable nonprofit organization making inclusive texts accessible for classrooms all across North America. On June 3rd, they're going to be having a great celebrity panel that looks at representation in the media. Now, of course, you can purchase a ticket. The link to learn more about the event is over there in the show notes. But Pride and Less Prejudice are also really excited to give away two free seats to listeners of this show. So how do you enter to win? I need you to drop me an email by 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tonight. Again, you're listening to this episode. Uh, if you're listening to this episode live, it's June 1st. So by 9 p.m., drop me an email. My email address is over there in the show notes. All you need to include is an email subject line that says enter to win. That's it. And you will automatically be entered. You'll hear back from me by tomorrow, June 2nd if you have won one of the seats. So again, to learn all about that event, please do head over there to the show notes. Now, back to our conversation with Linz Amer, who you may know from their beloved LGBTQ plus family web series called Queer Kid Stuff. That now has over 4 million views. It's still counting. Their new book, Rainbow Parenting, Raising Queer Kids and Their Allies, is just one of those books that I could not put down. I read it in a single sitting, and it's one of those texts that I think belongs not only in local libraries, on your personal library shelf, but most definitely in school libraries. Please welcome back to the show, Lynn Zamer. At the time of this conversation's release, your new book, Rainbow Parenting, will be in the world for two full days. Can we start this conversation with a quote from the book? Uh, and it's from page 15, those of you who have already dug into the book, where you write, quote, go into this learning with courage, an open mind, and a commitment to moving forward with the understanding that you will probably stumble along the way. Linz, can you say more about why it felt important to you to welcome your readers in that way? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of the work of the book is really trying. I mean, the first big section is about like really unpacking your internal biases and getting kind of past that point and into kind of like the meat and potatoes of the work, which is the infancy through kindergarten plus of like how to actually do this stuff. Um, but I think that in thinking about that, a lot of the work of this book is about like getting rid of the obstacles that are really 
keeping parents, educators, caregivers, people with young folks in their lives from addressing these topics of gender, sexuality, intersectionality, identity, et cetera, with young people. And this is one of those obstacles that's like a lot more internal for people. That's just like, I don't know, I'm going to make mistakes. Like, how do I do this? I I'm going into this without a lot of information or experience of my own. And I think that quote in particular is really meeting the reader where they're at and saying like, it's okay. Like that anxiety, like I feel that. And I'm telling you, like, I don't expect perfection from you. I don't have this like high, high bar you need to reach to be able to even start approaching these topics. That's not necessary for this work. And if the book does anything and gives people confidence to just go in, even if they don't have all of the knowledge, I think that that will be successful in the relationship between book and reader and author and reader, because I'm really just trying to strip down those obstacles and get people to like just start talking about these things with their kids. And that's like the first and foremost, you know, biggest thing about what I'm doing here is, uh, yeah, helping you push through those like internal anxieties, internal obstacles to just like do the thing. And yeah, that's kind of what that quote's doing. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned you hope if it only does one thing, it does that. But I think, you know, having finished the book, loved the book, it's going to do many things. And I hope so. Bear with me as I quote you back to you again. I want to move forward in the book slightly to page 41, where you're getting into representation. You write, quote, I am asking what the world would look like if all kids had access to all the information they need for themselves and to uplift and affirm and support and be allies to others. I wonder how the work that you have been doing over the course of your career with your incredible YouTube channel has maybe given you access to a potential answer for that question because it is a it's a tough reality to imagine i think maybe especially right now in light of the dramatic spike in in book bans and book challenges yeah how maybe have your fans and followers because you have a community that's been around you and i think learning from you for a long time now yeah how have they maybe helped you see what the power of representation is all about yeah, I mean, Queer Kid Stuff turned seven earlier this month, which is just a wild thing <laughs> that the series has been out in the world for that long. Um, it's wild to think that like a child who encountered the series at two is now nine years old. Um, and I don't know if I've gotten like exact like direct response from like folks like that who've like grown up with the series but I mean the the line that I hear that I have heard for over seven years is from adults and folks who are older even teenagers right is I wish I had this when I was a kid and when I set out to make queer kids stuff I remember talking about you know I wish my hope for this series is that it becomes irrelevant and it's interesting because it's it's only become more and more relevant over the years. And I mean, I, I stopped creating the series actively in 
summer of 2019. So it's a YouTube channel that has been largely untouched until pretty recently. And the thing that happens to things online that aren't touched for a long time, years even, is they dwindle and fade. And the exact opposite has happened with Queer Kid stuff. It has only grown exponentially in its audience. I mean, I've had, you know, the numbers and views, especially every June, grow and grow. And I think it's only finding more people. And it's interesting, like, for me as a creator now, I'm like, okay, you all are seeing me in this time capsule at like 25, 26, 27. And I'm like, okay, I'm in my early 30s now. Hello, everyone. I'm trans non-binary now. I've learned a lot more about myself. And I hope that I think in this book too, I can kind of meet people where I am now in my life and people can kind of reintroduce themselves to me while also, uh, you know, taking queer kid stuff for what it is and why it still resonates with people and why it's still continuing to grow exponentially. So yeah, that's kind of been my experience with it. And I mean, I get DMs from people all the time of like, this is helping me, this has helped my family, this helped my me introduce these concepts to my kids. And oh, and DMs from people who are saying they watch it every year on in June, like they watch The Grinch and Christmas. And it's that kind of like blows my mind that it's become this like essentially cultural touchstone at a particular time of the year and it just shows that it truly is evergreen content i do still hope that it's relevant one day but that day is a lot farther away than i think i initially anticipated yeah um i'm glad that you mentioned you know again just that the communication like the informality of the dm because sometimes i'll hear folks say you know, this book really helped me or this book meant so much to my family. Uh, and I'll kind of say like, you know, why don't you go to that person's website, like find their contact form or see if they're on social and reach out and let them know. And they'll say like, oh, yes. no, they, they probably don't read that. And I'm like, they probably do. Um, so I, I wonder if you just want to expand on that for a moment, because I feel like, you know, again, pride is a really important time, I think, for folks, if you're looking for their multiple calls, calls to action out there. But queer creators give them your support all year round. But I think especially right now might be a great time to do that gratitude campaign. You know, if they've got a, a Patreon account, whatever you can do to boost a little bit more. But do you want to say more about how, in fact, you do pay attention to things that are even like a DM? I think, again, sometimes folks think like, oh, that's not significant. Oh my gosh, no, it's incredibly significant. I, I also get like a lot of harassment and have historically gotten a lot of harassment and I'm kind of <laughs> currently bracing myself <laughs> for a new wave because of the book. Um, but it is really, really important to get those messages. And I'm someone who gets very overwhelmed by emails, so I don't always respond to them, but I take screenshots, I save them in my like fun stuff folder that I check every once in a while to just like remind me that like this is important and to like keep going because I hit well, the harassment is one thing and like having even just like a stockpile of positivity to be able to like help me and my mental health combat that is incredibly helpful, but I also you know, in the work that I do, especially in mainstream children's media, I consult, I write for preschool television. I'm doing a lot of kind of like systemic work as well as running queer kids stuff as like a business and doing performances and stuff. And 
I hit a lot of systemic obstacles and those are really hard moments because that's about, you know, me as an artist trying to advance my career, make cool work and convince people to give me money to make cool work. And just like the things that keep me going are really like those messages and just like coming back to my center of like, okay, why do I believe in this? Why am I putting so much, you know, blood sweat and tears truly into this work and it's because of those messages that people give send in because i know that like for every one email that's positive there's probably like 20 to 50 people who haven't emailed me and i can see those numbers on the youtube channel but like numbers like don't compute in the same way as like a dm and i usually do respond to dms (laughs) um but yeah, they're really important. Also, monetary um, uh, support is extremely appreciated because this is uh, not the highest paid vocation. <laughs> and uh, any kind of financial support really, truly does keep the lights on. Yeah. And especially, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, organizer podcaster Bridget Todd, but her program does a lot of work on how marginalized folks are subjected to not only the most harassment online, but a different form of harassment. Uh, And she's Mm -hmm. got a great new series out and talks about how for many folks who are marginalized too, there is almost like a tax because you have to sometimes pay for additional programming, something like block party that literally helps you manage that. So I, I do think it's important for folks to be aware of that, that when you can contribute financially, it's a great thing to do. So I am really sorry that you experienced that. I think it's so valuable that you shared it. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. And again, also sharing the opposite that those positive DMs um, speak to you that, you know, it isn't always I know, you know, like your TEDx talk has so many views, right. And I think sometimes folks might say like, Oh, well, Lynn sees that number. So that's all they need to know when like, mm, no, No, I'm a theater person. Like I, that's my background. I came up, you know, performing in front of an audience. And the thing you lose when you kind of move to digital content creation and making things that are filmed and taped and are on a screen is you lose the energy that you get back from an audience. And that I think was also like something that was really difficult for me when I was first doing queer kid stuff, because I was just like, I don't know how to process these numbers and like this harassment, but then also like the nice things that were coming in, it was really hard to differentiate for my brain. And which is a big reason why I started doing live performances and kind of going across the country and going to schools and libraries and doing the songs from queer kids stuff and telling original stories and things like that. And and even just doing adult speaking events. Uh, it's really important for me to feel that energy coming back at me and a number just does not encapsulate that. Well, and I'm guessing again, with the new book out, there's perhaps some opportunities for, again, that energy experience that you describe. And as you mentioned directly in the book, rainbow parenting is not just for parents and caretakers. You also address listeners of this show, educators, school leaders. For schools who are looking to leverage your book, perhaps host a book club, what opportunities might there be for them to partner with you in their professional development and taking that book even further? 
Yeah, for sure. So I go to schools and libraries and community organizations all over the country in person and virtually. I do full school assemblies. I do classroom workshops. I do full grade workshops. They're really fun. They go from like really intimate like chats about gender and pronouns to kind of like larger scale assemblies where I'm, you know, doing songs <laughs> and kind of speaking like in a much uh, in a more direct but like broad sense of, of what I do and kind of hitting all of the kind of like emotional points of like telling a kid-friendly version of what Stonewall was and like how the movement started. Um, I also do professional development for educators and uh, folks, uh, especially young uh, adult professionals um, who are working with young people. Uh, so that's an offering I do as well. I usually like package that in when I'm going to a school. If I'm doing a workshop for the kids, then I can also do a workshop for the adults. I can kind of speak to um, full, like all ages for I mean, that's the thing is like queer kid stuff is, you know, technically for kids and rainbow parenting is technically for grownups. But like, it's all overlapping. It's just kind of like a different context through which I'm approaching the the voice of the piece. Um, but yeah, I work, I do keynotes at conferences. I do lots of stuff. <laughs> um, and this is certainly, my work is certainly for educators too. Um, I find that a big audience of queer kids stuff is educators. And I actually directly address educators in the book as well. And I think everyone hopefully has like a different relationship with the book between like educators and parents and caregivers and folks who are our extended family members, things like that, um, are going to have a different relationship to the text. But I think ultimately everyone's kind of on the same mission of like, okay, how do we create this queer and gender affirming environment for the young people who we experience in our life and who's experience us in their lives? And I think that that is first and foremost what the book is about. It's kind of marketed as a parenting book, but like parenting as like an idea for like raising a philosophy around raising children, which isn't just about parents. No, and you know, you really do talk about a lot about childism and what it means, because I mm -hmm. think in, in education, it's um, not uncommon to hear folks talk about, you know, the importance of student voice or, mm -hmm. you know, student leadership, student autonomy. And you remind us in this book, if you truly believe that, um, then uh, again, one of the obstacles that you mention in saying, you know, like kids can't think for themselves or they are too young to engage in complex conversations. I really, really appreciated you digging into that in the book. Yeah. Yes. That is a big part of it is like respect children and believe that they will understand what you're talking about. And like also just the notion that like it doesn't matter if they fully process everything you're saying to them. That doesn't matter. Again, what we're most interested in here is a queer and gender affirming environment. And that environment allows young people to absorb just lots of information. And when you ritualize that in your day to day life, when that becomes a philosophy that you're enacting in your relationships with young people, and it becomes consistent work that you're doing and practicing how to disrupt this cis heteronormative <laughs> environment that is just all around us and pervasive in everything we encounter in this society, we 
we allow them the space to absorb and develop at their own pace so that they can take what works and also like develop empathy for people and identities that they're learning about and just have an understanding of these topics because I guarantee you they're going to impress you. I don't think I've had a single gig where I haven't had a kid raise their hand when I ask them if they know what gender is and they give me like a pretty decent definition. And most of the time it already includes non-binary identity. So you would be surprised by the young folks in your lives. And I and I encourage people to not underestimate kids. Yeah, it's it's an important message again, especially educators reflect on that. I mean, even for myself, when I think about my own K-12 experience many, many, many years ago in thinking about how much of it was designed to have this power dynamic where not only were you being underestimated, but like you were undervalued, um, mm -hmm. perhaps worse than that. Uh, Linz, I, I know that you mentioned the many things that you offer schools and learning organizations and you have me thinking, and, and I really appreciated that you addressed in the book the importance of your background in theater. And I'm thinking too about how that is also being, you know, the arts are being underfunded in many schools. Mm. Um, and I have a lot of listeners to of the show who are in arts-based uh, educational jobs. And I yeah. wonder, you know, do you also do workshops I'm thinking for some teachers who have high school students who they are thinking about pursuing a career in the arts and they want to merge it with change, with mm -hmm. you know, really offering a transformational change. Are there workshops that you do for that audience too that sort of look at you know the arts, how, how very important they are and, and what they can do? Yeah, I've definitely given talks to high schoolers and university students about how to kind of like find your focus within activism and to use kind of like your existing skill sets and passions in in a way that you can kind of enact change in your day-to-day -day lives. And I talk about this quite a bit in kind of like the bat later sections of the book when we get to kind of like older kids about like, okay, how do we focus our activism? How do we look at what we're passionate about? And then kind of like the next level of it is, okay, how do we take what we love and we're good at and we care about and how do we use that and pair that and weave that with a mission? And that's really been a huge part of my own personal journey as an artist. And I've certainly spoken to that. It's usually in kind of like the high school and like university age ranges that I'll do those talks. Um, but I think it could probably work for middle school too. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really about like, okay. And, and this is, these are principles of community organizing as well of like, okay, Maybe not everybody is well suited to hop on the phone and call their representative. Maybe you're a person who is a skilled musician and also cares about climate change. Write a song about climate change and put it on TikTok. <laughs> I'm sure it'll do well. And also you'll inspire people and maybe you'll have important information in that song as well. And I think more people could think about how we make change and how we become change makers by doing things that we already enjoy and just giving it a, a political social change purpose. Yeah. I mean, that that also, and sorry not to be like, do you also do this, Linz? Give us more. But, 
you have me thinking about entrepreneurship and mm -hmm. business teachers. And, you know, you touched upon the idea of learning to sort of grow as a business, you know, practitioner Ugh. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, you know, Pride Month is a time and we're already seeing again what what has happened with Target. Um, Patagonia and North yeah. Face have kind of launched their campaigns as well. And it's mm. I, I really think uh, businesses and brands are going to have to really be thinking about uh, what their advocacy means and how deep rooted it is. Or again, is it a small handful of angry, you know, bigoted anti-LGBTQ folks that and that's it and then you waver. Uh, do you do anything also for entrepreneurship courses, business teachers? Because I, I, I again, I have another that's kind of another significant population of the audience to this show happens to be teachers of, of those two subject areas. And I know they will have wanted me to ask you that as well. Yeah, you know, I don't usually, mostly because I think I probably have a lot of imposter syndrome around it. <laughs> and also because I think that I'm just like constantly still learning like how to run a functional business. They don't give you entrepreneurial classes in theater school, which I think is uh, a, a <laughs> that 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 needs to be fixed. I mean, I think that we all need to have better life skill business management, like education. Um, and I, I I, I, you know, look at because I, I think it's it's really, really hard to function in a capitalist system if you want to have kind of like a moral social good value on what you're doing. And honestly, I don't think I'm perfect at it. And I don't think that there's necessarily like one perfect way to do it. I also am kind of like, do I even run a successful business? Because <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's it's not easy. It's a lot of cobbling things together. I, you know, work, I do this full time, but I also have some part time gigs that I do. It's all contract work. There's not a lot of like passive revenue streams, which I'm hoping the book might change. And it's, uh, I mean, I make maybe $10 off of YouTube every couple of months. So but it's, listeners, I, hold on. I need to pause there for a second because I think folks don't realize how many views that actually equates to. So yeah. it's, it's a terrible model that, you know, you have as a oh, creator. Uh, but um, that, um, yeah. Yeah. I have over five, sorry, I have over 4 million views lifetime on the YouTube channel and have made less than $2,000 yeah. over those seven years yeah. and 4 million views. So I get nothing <laughs> from queer yeah. kid stuff. I That is free work that I was able to produce off of micro grants. And it's a big reason why I didn't continue creating it because it was expensive. And I have tried to sell it in mainstream kids spaces and people just like don't want to touch it. And I hope that that does not continue to be true moving forward in the next mm -hmm. however many years. But uh, yeah, this is uh, not the most lucrative job in the world. And I'm just continuing to figure out how to create viable businesses and revenue streams off of this and I think I'm getting a little bit better at it I'm doing a lot less like throwing spaghetti at the wall and a lot more like okay this is a thing that is starting to work this I think could work let's try it in a little bit more of like a focused way and uh that's been 
a long journey of figuring that out and uh, an expensive journey mm-hmm. <laughs> at that. So I, uh, I don't teach anything on that now, but maybe in the future, if I'm feeling more confident about my business model, I'll start. Yeah, doing I, that. I feel maybe it's a it's a yet it's a put a, a pin in it because as you were talking through it, I kind of almost felt like you were making the argument for what a really authentic uh, guest speaker you would be because I think you know. I think because of sort of a lot of the, I don't know, like reality TV show kind of framing around success, I think folks, Mm -hmm. A, don't realize the time investment it takes to sort of like, oh my gosh, yeah, there's that. And I, I really love that you were figuring it out for yourself as you were going along. um, Oh, yeah. Because I think that's, there's a, there's a great there's great learning in that, um, you know, and and again, sometimes I kind of think those stories uh, are are way more powerful than the, well, I just took over this business from this other person and it was already successful, like, you know, truly initiating something uh, in the way that you have done it and in the way that you have, I think, continued to be really authentic about sharing your journey and interacting with the audience in the way that you have is such a great model for young folks so i'm just gonna like leave that seed there um well thank you i appreciate it for now Um, i'm always happy to be transparent about that stuff it's not easy no it is not but um rainbow parenting is a wonderful book i again it was an absolute pleasure to read i am so happy that it is available now especially for pride so listeners in the show notes you will learn all about ways to pick up your copy if you've not done so already and then lynn's correct me if i'm wrong i this is something that i do that's kind of like i don't know i call it like ant-sized advocacy where I always ping my local library, uh, my local school board. I let them know when something like this is available. Uh, and, you know, I, I Goodreads apparently is also a great driver, letting folks know it's on your to be read stack. Anything else yes. that, that you would want listeners to do or um, you want to um, reiterate anything that I mentioned as a way of just helping folks discover this book? Yeah, I've been told that, I mean, as much as I dislike Amazon, I've been told that Amazon reviews are also really helpful. I, again, I mentioned that I'm bracing for a wave of harassment and like people who are not going to like this book because that's just what happens with my work, no matter what I do. Um, And I'm anticipating that there will probably be a lot of one-star reviews that come in at some point. So um, going, yeah, to Goodreads and Amazon especially and leaving hopefully very nice positive reviews would be lovely (laughs) yeah thank you thank you for that and it's a it's a great way uh, uh, yes amazon problematic uh but it's i think also once it has a certain number of reviews its algorithm also starts to let more folks know that the book is out there and then I would also say, like, don't underestimate that power of word of mouth, you know, like the yes. number of books I've read just because like a neighbor or, you know, a, a friend had mentioned it to me. So word of mouth as well. Yes, for sure. I think the one of the biggest things I've been getting feedback on the book is that, you know, maybe it's not for one person, but they know like three people that they want to give it to. So that's kind of like 
what I would um, call to action folks for on this podcast is, you know, if this doesn't, if this book doesn't seem like it's quite right for you, think of those three people and maybe it would be a nice gift for Pride Month. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, Lynn, so much for coming on the show and talking about your work. I look forward to just seeing hopefully lots and lots and lots of positive response to a text that I think we desperately need right now. Thank you. Me too. Um, I just want to plug one more thing. Um, I'm going on tour this month. I'm going to Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, Boston, and New York City. I have all of those dates up on the Queer Kid Stuff website, queerkidstuff.com slash live, or you can head to the Queer Kid Stuff Instagram or my Instagram, L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R, and check out those events. And I would love to see people's faces and connect in person, just like we were talking about, the energy getting back. That's a really important part of all of this. Great. Well, we'll be thinking of you on tour. Enjoy it and hope we get to talk again soon. Yeah, I hope so too. To learn all about Lynn's Amer and their brand new book, head over to the show notes. Listeners, I wish you a very happy start to Pride. See you again next Thursday. Take care.